0: you start doing deals, you're going to be busier than you ever thought possible, but you're going to be making more money than you ever thought
1: possible as well. So, Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have David Lindahl. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing good Todd how are you? I am doing excellent man and I'm just excited to have you on. I was telling you before uh, that my like when I was first starting to get into real estate you're just trying to figure out what's like what's going on like you know there's so many different avenues right and and a lot of people get the shiny object syndrome and go here and there and everywhere. Uh, but I heard you speak and I was like wow this is that just it just resonated with me to what you what you said, your motivation, um, and the reasoning behind multifamily. And so you motivated me to jo- like go that route. So I'm excited to have you on the show. A little bit about uh, Mr. Lindahl here. He has, uh, portfolio of over 9,000 units, been investing since 1996. So a couple of years here uh, in the industry. You also have RE Mentor. I know uh, you do a lot of training. You were maybe one of the only trainers, you know, back in the mid 2000s, uh, only people teaching multifamily uh, at right. that time. I and mean, you're still doing it.
0: Uh, yeah. Your comp-
1: yeah, your company uh, has done really well. So excited to have you on. Why don't you give our listeners maybe, maybe a little bit more kind of about your background, where you came from, and, and really what your focus is today. Uh, quick background was um,
0: I was in a rock and roll band from the time I was 16 to 24, um, you know, left with as many brain cells as I could, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do in my life. I just know I didn't want to be broke anymore. Tried a bunch of different things and then saw an interview uh, on biography with a guy by the name of Harry Helmsley. Who started with nothing, ended up owning the Empire State Building and did it by uh, buying and selling multi family properties, you know, owning a big portfolio. So he, on that interview, he said, there are groups of people out there that will give you money every month to pay down the mortgage, to pay a maintenance guy, to swing the hammers and clean the toilets, to pay for a management company, to take care of the tenants so you don't have to collect the rent or take any of the phone calls. And They'll give you so much money every month. They'll cover those bills and you'll have extra money. They'll give you passive income just for getting into the deal. And you can do it with no money out of your pocket. And I thought, damn, that's true. I'm in. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear involved at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, I kept, nine months later, when I did my first deal, I come to realize that it was true. And then, you know, 9,000 units later, I'm still doing it. So what was that first deal? It was a three-family property on 25 Newton Street in, in Brockton, Massachusetts. Okay, uh, You know, I was, I was bird-dogging. I had, you know, I'd figure out how to do it. There's nobody out there teaching at the time. So there was a bunch of single-family stuff. I joined the local real estate investment group. There was a couple of guys in there investing in multifamily. So I took them aside and I, you know, uh, I picked their brain, took them out to lunch. They kind of mm-hmm. mentored me through my first few deals. But I was so afraid to do my first deal that I would actually bird-dog the deals to them, you know, make two or 4,000. And I finally, this three-family, a triple-decker, uh, with four bedrooms in each floor, the more the more bedrooms you have, the more money you're going to make. I was on the market and I tried to bird dog it to them and they were too busy. One month goes by, two months goes by and I was like, guys, this is a great deal. You know, pay me, you know, take over this deal. And yeah. it was almost like the hand of God came out of the sky and slapped me across the face a couple of times. and said, look, I sent you good deals already. Take this one, this is the best. And I did, but I was so afraid to do it. I had my best friend who was just as broke as I was go in it with me because my father kept telling me, Dave, you invest in multi-family, you going down, you know, because he, he thought the tenants were going to destroy the place and they weren't going to pay the rent and I was going to get foreclosed on and I was this crazy kid coming from a rock and roll band, you know. He just didn't want me to
1: stumble yeah. again,
0: I guess.
1: Yeah, g- but, good good intentions, right? Uh, tell yeah, you hey, you know, you can't do that. You're gonna you're gonna lose everything. And I think a lot of us get uh, sidetracked by good intentions.
0: Yeah, uh, g- good good intentions and limiting beliefs.
1: Yeah is what yeah, it is absolutely but anyways so, when I
0: did, after i did that first one uh i did three more uh, within three months i had three more within six months i had nine And in the first year i had 11 when the first year i had within the first
1: three years i had almost 40
0: three wow. to six units i wouldn't buy anything bigger because i was afraid to go bigger at the time
1: okay that's what i was going like, to ask so you're buying these three to six unit properties you're just afraid to go bigger which i get like i did that for a long time as well uh, yeah. i was i was stuck in kind of that same type of area. What what made you go? All right, like I'm gonna start buying. Did you go did you go from there to buying like a hundred plus or did you like slowly work your way up? How how'd you go? It was a 40 unit in Montgomery. So I'm from Boston.
0: Um, and so what I started learning about during those three years that I was buying those properties was market cycles, what moves markets. Mm-hmm. And I realized that we had made a lot of money in a short period of time, but we were on the right side of the market. The market I entered the market was just going up on the incline. Mm-hmm so i made a lot of equity the rents increased i made a lot of cash flow and i realized that if i don't either take my money out in cash or move it into another property another market i was going to lose my equity which was millions at the time and so i started learning about the market cycles and how to follow job growth around the country you know household formations populations and i learned that montgomery alabama was having a, a new kia plant being built bringing in 5000 new jobs into a um, uh, a, uh, into a market that had a what's called a barrier to entry, which means they had floodplains around it, couldn't build there, supply remains the same. So um, with every new job that comes into a market, there's what's called the multiplier effect. So it's anywhere yeah. from three to, could be 15. Huntsville, Alabama has a multiplier of 15 because it's the highest per capita white collar workers. So in Montgomery, it was only three, very poor area. But yet those the three meant 5,000 jobs was actually 20,000 jobs coming in you know, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick makers. So we've got 20,000 new jobs coming into a market where there's a barrier to entry, supply is gonna remain the same, that market took off. I was forced to, I wanted to buy small three to six unit properties, but because of my 1031 exchanges, I was forced to buy a bigger property. So I bought a 40, which I was really afraid to, but I did and then I realized, wow, this 40 is actually wasn't too hard. And then 80 unit property came came my way and I, I bought that and that wasn't too hard. And then I jumped into a 350 unit property <laughs> realizing after I did it, you know, so there's a lot of fear involved in that as well, but that it was actually easier to do those bigger deals than it was to do those smaller deals. And then from there, we just took off. We started, you know, we're in 18 different markets uh, at one particular point. We're in 18 different markets, all emerging at the same time. It was crazy. One yeah. time we were doing one and a half um,
1: complexes a month, anywhere from 150 to 300 wow. complexes a month. That's, that's a lot of transactions. It was. That's a lot of work. Like, yeah. Yeah. it is but you know what
0: <laughs> you know you I, I like to tell people when they first come in and start learning about this is you're going to be busier than you ever once you start doing deals you're going to be busier than you ever thought possible but you're going to be making more money than you ever thought possible as well so they come hand in hand you know yep. it becomes a joy yeah
1: yeah well yeah and it's enjoyable to do if you enjoy doing it it's not it's not like it's work right you, you're you got to learn how to delegate a bit, but uh, enjoy doing yeah, here's it. Here's so. the thing, you know, some
0: people get in and like you and I. We, we love we love the transactions, we love the deal, we love like going out there, at the chase. Then you get it and you operate it. But there are some people that they, they just use multifamily as a talisman to to do what they really want to do. You know what I mean? They use mm-hmm. it as a vehicle to create wealth. Once they've attained that wealth and they get that passive income that's going to be coming in, then they switch over to whatever it is that they're really passionate about in life. You know, knowing that they don't have to worry about money anymore. They can just follow their joy, yep. and that's what I love seeing as well. As you know, I've got a um, I've got a um, education company. We started that in two thousand and two, um, and we've had so many tens of thousands of people come through here and to see those transitions happen on a regular basis. It's just it's a beautiful thing. It's one of, it's one of the things that it's one of the legacies that I'm most proud of.
1: I think it's changing people's lives. Yeah, that's got to be fun to see that uh, the these alumni that are actually doing deals that are doing big things. I know several people that have gone through the, the David Lindell, you know, program and they're doing some pretty big things. And so that's gotta be pretty cool to watch that. Um, that kind of happen and evolve. Right. You know, like anything, it, 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 there's work involved.
0: Yeah. And if you do that, we've got a proven system. And if, if you do the work, you get results. If you don't do the work, you don't get results. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people that, that want it, but don't want to do it, you know? So, to have somebody go out and follow the system, that's like the biggest reward we can get because we know it works. And then have somebody follow the system and then they come back and say, look what I've been able to do. That's the joy. Of yeah.
1: The business. Is, that, is that, you think, the difference between those who, because you get a ton of people that sign up and, and take your courses or read your books. Yeah. Uh, you've got what, three books? Is that? Um, uh, I've got five different books. Five different books. Okay. Yeah. Three of them, three um, of them,
0: number one bestsellers. Four,
1: yeah. It, four of them, number one bestsellers. Well then, I'm going to have to pick up the other ones. Uh, I, I really loved um, the multi-family millions, and anytime somebody asks me what kind of book, what book should I read, that that's that's the number one book. And I enjoyed uh, emerging the emerging markets book too, because that's just kind of I like to dig into the those types of data and numbers and stuff like that. But but anyways, uh, you know, you get people that you know go through the whole program and say they even maybe have the coach and the, you know, do, do the whole thing. And then they don't get anything done. And then you got the guys and gals who just explode, you know, they they totally get it. Like what's, what is the difference? Is it just following the system or what is the difference?
0: It's mindset. You know, when I first started for the first three years, I wasn't getting the, my students were getting the results that I thought they should be getting. And I couldn't figure out why. We had some people that were, I mean, killing it. Then we had others, a lot that, that weren't. It was like, well, you know, why not? And then I realized that it's limiting. It's the same thing. Problems that I had, limiting beliefs, you know, mindset. I come from a, a lower class, middle class family, a, a lower middle class family. Uh, my mom was a fish cutter on the fish piers of Boston for 27 years. My dad worked three jobs to support us. And my mom always used to tell us that, you know, the good stuff for the other people. You know, oh, isn't it nice what they have? But you know, that's that's for them. We'll never be able to get there. And uh, when I turned about 27, 28, I started saying, why? Why not us? And I got, um, fortunately, somebody had given me a tape set that they found, uh, Earl Nightingale's Lead the Field. And they said, hey, you might be interested in this. And I thought, hmm, and I plugged it into my car and I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And I listened to that like three or four times in a row, started doing what it said, started getting results. Then got uh, Anthony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, "Raise the Bar, The Magic of Thinking Big. And I started feeding myself, feeding my brain, you know, all of these positive things, all these different ways that you can live life and attract a, a good life to you, which helped me break through the limiting beliefs I had. And I had a lot of them. My mother and father used to, you know, at one point I had several big companies, you know, and I used to have this combined um, Christmas party. And, uh, and I was a crazy kid. And my parents loved to tell stories about my craziness, you know, embarrassing stories. So one guy comes over to me one time and says uh let's just talking to your parents and i was like yeah what did they, they tell you and they said um he says they said you were adopted i said what that's yeah, the first time i heard that they said yeah they they, they, they say you must be adopted because they can't figure you out nobody in the in the entire family is like you nobody thinks like you yeah and you know what i thought like them up until i was about 27 and so i started feeding myself the other stuff yeah and that's the difference. It's And that's what we started doing, changing the program too. So now we start off with mindset, how to change your mindset before you get started in the actual investing. And that helps. That, that's been a big difference.
1: Yeah, that's that's so good. And uh, 100% true. I, I see the people that I talk to that are successful, the people that aren't. So very much true. I mean, and t- just taking action. Like So many people want to get super educated. Education is great. Like you got to get educated. You have to have mentors. You have to do all that. But eventually you're not a real estate investor unless you're buying stuff. Yeah. You know,
0: this is what I found. There's the people the people that make a decision that you're going to, that they're going to do it no matter what happens, you know, what obstacles come in the way they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that become successful. Yeah, the other right. ones is this mentality, right? And that is that you're never going to feel like it. And when you realize that, you're never going to feel like it and recognize the fact that you don't feel like it, but know that if you do do it, what you don't feel like doing, you will uh, eventually become successful. That's a big mindset shift. I used to phrase that as uh, feeling uncomfortable. If you're willing to be uncomfortable for three to five years, you can be comfortable for the rest of your life, basically. But you've got to, be, you've got to get used to being uncomfortable and embrace the, you know, embrace the suck, as they say in the uh, Navy SEALs. You know, but it's true. That's how you, that's how you grow.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, What are you doing today? I think a lot of people want to know that, you know, people respect your opinion, your emerging markets, like what markets are good. What are you doing today in the, in the multifamily? Are you buying? Are you kind of waiting? Are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you selling? What are you, what are you doing today?
0: Uh, We've, we've sold a bunch. It's a crazy market right now. Um, you know, one of the things I've realized all through the years is that there are always good deals out there, but those deals depend upon the relationship that you have because the good relationships will bring you good deals in any market. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is a time where because of COVID, there are so many office and retail investors that have come out of that space and put their money where they think it's safe in apartments that they're really bidding up the prices where we thought there was going to be a correction. Yeah, uh, happening. COVID actually extended the, when that correction will happen, and it will start right. happening. Right, but there are still right. one-off deals out there, and that's what we—that's what we do now. You know, based on the relationship that we have, we're like we're doing a, um, a student housing deal in Mobile right now. Um, uh, we're putting together—actually, um, we're putting together a hotel deal uh, in Texas. Uh, Is it a
1: hotel conversion or just a hotel, straight hotel?
0: Well, it's a hotel deal, right? But you know, there's a big rise in the short-term rental market. Yeah. So we're going to take this hotel and we're going to half of the doors or half the keys, they call it with hotels, half of the keys, we're going to turn them into short term rental.
1: Got and it. that's going to increase the value of the property oh. exponentially. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I know a lot of people are taking hotels and turning them into, you know, apartments. Uh, apartments, small, assisted, living facilities, assisted and living facilities. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Have you
0: done any of that? I have not. I've looked into it though. Uh, yeah. You know, we've done the research. I just there's so many different opportunities out there. You've got to decide on which ones you're going to go after, you know? So we see them and then we look at, we try to pick the low hanging fruit and hope that we're right when we do it. And so I, that's, that's always been in my sights. i just haven't done it yet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, You're, you're right. You got to pick, you got to pick, you got to stay your lane too, right? You can't go everywhere. Um, Are there certain markets that you really like today? Yeah. We like, we always like Dallas, you know, uh, we had at one still time- Even still like Dallas, it's been, it's been great for so many years. Yeah. don't think it's like, it's going to end today. Oh, it will. End. I don't think it's going to
0: end today, but it just, it, it, what happens in Dallas um, when it does go over the other side and on the down cycle, it lasts a very short period of time mm-hmm. and it goes, starts going back up again. So the damage, the um, the state of Texas and the state of Utah are similar in the, in the sense that um, when there's a down cycle, it lasts a very short period of time and then it starts uh, uh, going up again. And mm-hmm. that's because of the government. The government is so business friendly in those states that it rebounds quicker.
1: That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Here's the, here's the, here's the trick with Dallas for anybody that's listening. So Dallas is a really good market, but the best markets are the submarkets around Dallas. You know, uh, the Longview, Tyler, Amarillo, uh, these uh, Temple, these markets that uh, Dallas will always overbuild. That's the cycle there. Uh, there's so much land there. There's so many builders there that once the hut, the hot season starts, everybody starts building. They overbuild, but yet in the sub markets, the rents typically don't get high enough to support new construction. So the inventory remains the same. So therefore, as you're as you get to 95% occupancy, which means that's the time to raise the rents, you're always looking around to see what's being built, you know, to prevent you from raising the rents. And in those sub markets. Uh, very few times do you see things that are being built that's going to affect you.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's, that, that's something, that's a
1: strategy that we've used for years. So you like Utah, you like Texas, any other markets that you like? Yeah.
0: So I really like Vegas right now because Vegas is oh, something I yeah. get hit really hard. Um, Huntsville, Alabama has been good since I started investing there in 2006. It's a really crazy market right now, but if you have the right, uh, we just sold the deal there. We had it on the market. Um, for we actually we had an unsolicited offer a cash offer coming at 5.6 and they said they're going to close within a very short period of time well they started you know like buyers do sometimes they start dicking around with us and it turns into we're going to a month 45 days it's like hey i thought this was going to be an easy cash sale you know with this property we would not planning on selling well all of a sudden within a week's period of time we got three unsolicited offers 6.2 6.5 and 6.4 Wow. So in that short period of time, the market rose that, that, that quickly there. But at the same time, you know, there are deals there. I know some of my uh, investor friends and students that are doing deals there and they're, they're meeting the criteria. We have a very conservative criteria for buying. So they're meeting the criteria, but they're always either an off-market deal or a pocket listing. It's never anything you're going to see on Kretzky, uh, anything that you're going to see on a broker's website. It's something that you get a phone call and say, hey, I'm going to send you this deal. Take a look
1: at it. Tell me what you think. Act quickly. What when, you, when you're buying, you're expanding, you're, you're talking, going through that story, I was going to ask you, were you using your own money the whole time or were you bringing on investors kind of early on from, from the I used my
0: I used my own money until I got to about 800 plus units and that's when I moved into uh, Montgomery and I did my own money with the 40, with the 80, but with the 350, I saw the potential. I saw how much easier it was to do those larger deals. I saw that I could actually build a team in each particular market as I moved from market to market that could be my eyes and ears and be my success. And that's when I started, that's when I set my, I changed my goal from a thousand units to 10,000 units. Hmm. And I thought I'll never be able to buy 10,000 units with my own money. So I started learning about syndications and, and raising private money.
1: Yeah. What what what's a, what's a couple key factors raising private money? I mean, how does somebody start doing that? And doing it well
0: well it's all about um it's getting your message out there really um the easiest thing to do is be at a social situation and have somebody uh, ask you what you do you know everybody always says hey what have you been up to oh i started investing in emerging markets like what you know they, and then they can they, they they actually close themselves it's a really easy path to go down same thing at business events you've got to be attending business events where business owners are um, most business owners know about real estate as well would like to get involved but they're too busy in their business um, and they're all there to the network. So if you just start talking about real estate, don't go in there looking for money, but just talking about the either the deals that you're doing and the opportunities that you see, or just may, uh, you know have that phrase when somebody asks you, it works out well. You become the guy. You know, you become the guy that people go to when they're when they're uh, need some information about the real estate markets. Yeah. raising money is actually not that difficult.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I think, are, are really nervous about it. And how, how do we how do I talk to somebody? How do I even approach them about it?
0: Well, you can certainly use the approach that I just talked about and let them close themselves. It's the easiest way to do it. But I think that the other underlying point is I've never done a deal before. I've never raised money before. That means I'm not confident these people will never give me my money. That's what's in people's minds, you know? And then the other thing is the person that you're talking to, they're assessing you and they're thinking, can this guy give me back my, my money? You know, they're not even concerned about the returns. Like, can this guy give me back the money? Yeah. So the whole lot, you know, you got to get educated. You got to know what you're talking about. You either, you got to, if you haven't done a deal before, then you get educated and you build a team around you. Uh, And if you've done deals before, then, you know, you, you talk about it, but that's how you start out. Everybody starts out the same way. I started out the same way. I was broke. A lot of people start off uh, broke. Mm -hmm. Uh, And everybody, you know, there's, Hey, some people will, some people won't, you know, what can you do? Some people will invest in you. They're looking at you, your integrity, um, you know, the type of person you are. They're assessing all those things to determine whether or not they're going to give you money into the deal. And then they'll ask you, hey, you're putting any of your own money into the deal, right, which if you're broke, you're not. And you just say, no, I put in the equity into the deal. And some people will sweat equity. And some people will say, well, if you don't put in any equity, then I'm not going to put any money into your deal. And then my response has always been, and I still don't put money into my deals. My response has always been, Okay, I can certainly understand that philosophy. A lot of people have it. If in the future you decide that you know you do want to do some deals with us, we'll be we'll be happy to to, to partner with you. Because what happens is is they're saying that because they don't know you, they don't understand you. You know what I mean? They you, they haven't figured you out. They don't know if you're, you're you're trustworthy to give them their money back. But then when you start doing deals and your reputation starts going around, then all of a sudden they hear about you again and like, hey, maybe I will go back. So you you don't you don't burn a bridge. You just you know you keep it open. You keep yeah. the lane.
1: When, and you're not bending to their rules either. It sounds like you're. You're. Yeah. This is the no. way you do it, and that's it. Some people
0: won't. And some people will never put money in your deal if you don't
1: have any skin
0: in the game, as they say. But that's okay because there are a ton of people that will.
1: Yeah. So you just got to decide what's best for you. You're going to put skin in the game. You're going to not. You're going to do. What What are you going to do? And you got to just move forward with it. It sounds like it's
0: it's a numbers game. This whole thing. I have a mentor that years and years ago, when I first started investing in multifamily properties, taught me this formula. It's R equals C times L. The amount of money, and this can go in any business, any industry, the amount of money that you're going to make, the R, is going to be equal to how competent you are at the key skills that you need in that particular industry or business and how frequently you do certain key actions. So the frequency, number one, you have to be competent in talking to somebody about when you're raising money, you're getting deals. Um, and then you have to you have to get out there in front of people. You have to do it frequently. It's a numbers game. So as long as you're hitting those frequencies, the people that fail are the people that don't hit their frequency numbers. You can become competent in all of those key skills. And what you'll learn is some of those things you'll never be good at because that's just you know, right brain and left brain. And those are the things you delegate out to other people. But you can't miss the frequencies. As long as you're doing those frequencies, you know, you'll be successful. It's, it's weird how simple it is, but it's just
1: that simple. Oh yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I and mean, it goes the same thing with, like you said, it goes anywhere in business, right? I mean, you talk you talked earlier about building relationships with, with you know, property owners, brokers. It, again, it's about the frequency. If you're not calling them, if you're not meeting new people, you're never going to get the good deals.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we tell our coaching students, we, we call it two and two, a successful one. And that is put in two offers a week and go into two networking situations a week. Hmm. It doesn't mean they have to be good good offers because it, in reality, we know most of the deals out there at any given time are gonna be crap, you know? But what you wanna do is you wanna go in there, analyze the deal. We have a script that they give to the brokers. It's what we call it the low ball offer script. You always wanna present present it. And the whole idea is you're not expecting to get the deal. You're trying to establish a relationship with that particular person. I like to that. To get a potential next deal.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and it's the same, you know, in the frequencies of getting in, in, in front of people, could be a social situation or a business situation but just get out there and get into get into a situation where people can ask you that question
1: hey what do you do yeah simple as that yeah I like it um, let's talk let's talk your businesses so you've got multiple businesses you've got the the, the coaching you've um, you've got the multifamily you know the 9,000 units you didn't get there by accident you've built successful businesses you've got teams uh, in place You've got people that work for you. Um, well, let's talk about that and how how did you build your business successfully? Maybe give me like, you know, three tips that our audience could take and implement it in their own business on actually building out the business aspect of it. Because so many real estate investors, I think, just focus on getting a deal done. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, in the multifamily space, um, you know, the first thing you got to do is you got to treat it like a business instead of a deal. If you treat it like yeah. a hobby and doing one-off deals, you know, you can make some money, but you won't make wealth. Yeah. Um, you treat it like a business from the very beginning and start putting systems together uh, and using those systems to, to to source deals in on a regular basis, to analyze deals on a regular basis, to offer on a regular basis. You know, and then when the deal goes through, all the different things you have to do um uh, in the process of due diligence. And then when you close, you know, you put in systems, you put in all those systems in place and then you're treating it like a business and it starts to run like a machine. Um, if you don't do that, then um, yeah, you, you, you might do a couple of deals. And, and most of the people that do, you know, do a couple of deal, a deal here and there, they're frustrated investors. And, you know, they tend to leave the business. They never really get any traction in the business. Let me give you a couple of books uh, that really got me We talk about business, building businesses because I built my landscaping company, my construction company, I built a, um, a real estate brokerage company to number three in the city that uh, I built it in, um, and then I built the, the education business. I built my my real estate business. The very first book I read that changed everything was in between my my um, landscaping business to construction, and that was The E Myth Revisited. Mm. Yep, and that taught me to work on the business, not in the business. And my biggest my biggest decision back then was, do I hire another person? so that I had one person mowing lawns with me in my landscaping business. And the decision was, do I hire another person to take my place mowing lawns so I can focus on the marketing to get more accounts? And the other question was, can I afford it? You know, and then, you know, little did I know that, you know, I read the the E-Myth Revisited, I focused on the business, I focused on the marketing I hired that other person and, and that business, started taking off. So that was, a, that was a really good book. And that's a, I, I follow that constantly. Another good uh, book was John Warlow's Built to Sell. Hmm. So that's all about how to build your business as you're building it. And in mind, knowing that you're going to sell it and what the different things to put in place. I go back to that book on a regular basis.
1: Well, yeah. And that makes sense, right? If you're going to build it to sell it, that means you got to figure out how to do it without you in place. So nobody's going to want to buy a business or pay top dollar for a business if the only way it's operating is the, the, the person you know, that's started and founded the business, that's going to be going away. Exactly, exactly.
0: And, even if you, and if you are the brand or you are a key component in there, then they, you know, they give you like a certain amount of money, but then they get this clause that You have to stay in the business for the next three or four years right. to get the majority
1: of your money, which right. is a crappy way to sell a business. That's, that's a crappy way to sell, <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, what's the biggest mistake you've made? And, you know, like, how, how have you learned from it? How can you teach our, our audience?
0: Uh, The biggest mistake I made was I bought a 400 unit repositioning deal in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, way before I should have. Um, There are two types of deals in multifamily. There's a momentum play where cash flows at closing. And then there's a repositioning where it's somewhere below 85% occupied and it needs some sort of work to get cash flowing again. Um, Those deals are very lucrative when you do it right. Um, But what I didn't know at the time is you should start small, which I had, I had done a number of them, of them in Boston, smaller ones, um, and then work your way up. Well, I went from the smaller ones and I jumped to a 400 unit that was 43% occupied at the time. I didn't realize that that 43% occupied meant only 26% were actually paying. And then it would actually go down before it would go back up again. And um, a three-year project, which, which I thought we were gonna make three to $4 million ended up being a six-year project where I ended up giving the investors their money back and, um, and uh, I left with quite a few bruises. It was the longest six years of my life, but it's over. So I think the lesson is, is if you're going to get started in multifamily, start with the momentum plays that cash flow at closing. So therefore you have, you know, victory and they're easier to run and manage. And then you should go in repositionings, not more than 30% at any given time though,
1: and start small and work your way up. Got it. That makes, that makes sense. Are, are you still, do, are you doing repositionings at this, like, would you, would you take it on a repositioning right now?
0: This is what I've learned, okay? So I do what's called a micro repositioning. So in all the years I've been doing business, at the end of every year, I would analyze my deals. You know, did, did the ones that I sold, did they come out profitable the way I thought they would? If yes, great, what caused that? If not, not so great, what caused that? So as I'm doing that every year, I start noticing a pattern somewhere around seven, eight, year, seven, eight, or nine. And I realized that the, the deals that I made the most money on had a certain criteria. They were, they were losing their occupancy. They used to say the market's like 90% occupied. These were below 90%, but they weren't below 85%, which is a repositioning deal. So they, they're on their way down. There's, a, there's some sort of a problem with management. Um, and, if I, and, and, if I, and if they were a B property in a B neighborhood, four classes of property, A, B, C, and D, A's are great, D's are not. So if they were B property in a B area, and I could fix the problem if I could figure out what the problem was. That's the first thing. And then if I could fix the problem, that was the second question. Then those properties, uh, you I was able to get in there, put. And the other criteria was you didn't put more than three, then more than three to four thousand per door into the into uh, the units when you're fixing it into the whole property. Hmm. So that meant on a hundred unit property, and you can do this with smaller deals too. But on a hundred unit property, that repositioning is going, taking only three to four months to do. So now the only thing you have left is to raise the rents back up the market. And that yep. typically takes another 12 months because that's, you know, the leases go with the property. So you're looking anywhere from 12 to 18 months and now you can refinance that deal out. You can pay off your investors and now you and the bank own the deal yourselves with a, with a nice uh, piece of equity in there. So, so those are micro repositionings. Those are the deals we focus on. They're the less risky deal. I call it the fastest way to make a million dollars if you're doing anywhere from 75 units plus on these re, on these micro repositionings, and um, you know in in life and in real estate, there's risk involved, and you're always trying to look for ways to minimize your risk. Yeah, this is one method that we use on a regular basis. I like it, and this it's a great it's a great uh, method to understand right now too because because of COVID, what COVID did is it was shook out all the bad operators, all the bad landlords. Okay. Because they couldn't survive because they were bad. You know, they didn't, they weren't doing best practices. Um, and so those properties are coming back. Those are the the micro repositionings in the market right now. So we're seeing far more micro repositionings than we've seen in years in the market. So it's an exciting time.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, what's a, um, what's a daily habit that you have that you would say helps with your success?
0: I get up. Uh, I try to get up before my kids. I have uh, three kids. Two of them five, and one of them three. And you know, if they do this rotation where one of them starts getting up at 5:30. I'm natural. I get up at five five o'clock in the morning. It's just normal for me, wired like that. But then my kids like so. I like to I like to get up. I like to um, meditate for a bit. Then I like to stretch out. Then I like to work out. Then I'll stretch out again. Um, and then, uh, but with kids, it's difficult. So um, the one thing I do do though, is, is I get up early enough that I can get my meditation. in. I don't know if you read the book by Dr. Joe Dispenza, Superhuman, Mm-mm. have you read that book? No, I haven't. That's an awesome book. Anybody that's looking to change a mindset, you know, this is one of the, the great books I've discovered. I think he wrote it about a year or two ago. And, uh, and he has a lot of different meditations on how to do it. And if, you, if you've got an illness and you wanna reverse that illness just by using your own mind power, uh, this is a great book for that as well. He's got a lot of meditations. Some of his meditations are, are, are 20 and, and 30 minutes, but some of them are 45 and 50. So if I want to do like a longer meditation, I have to make sure that I get up at four to prevent yeah. my kids coming into the middle of the meditation. And it's, it's self-guided meditation too. He's got a lot of great stuff. He, that guy is good. It's one of the best, best discoveries I've had in a while. I don't know super, if you know this, you but it's super a time, Superhuman. Yeah. yeah. There was a period of time where I was through, uh, I had a spine injury. I had two herniated discs. I had three, I have three degenerated discs. And I had the top of my spine was like coat rack. I was in so much pain and um, they couldn't give me anything for it. The drugs wouldn't work. Fortunately, the opioids, the opioids didn't work. And um, I was teaching at the time. I'd go up on stage for three days, teaching a boot camp, And I would try anything to get out of pain. And um, somebody gave me this book, mind over back pain. And it basically said, if you see yourself, if you think this book was written for you, it's a very short book. They said, then, then you've got what's called the mind body syndrome and then go to this writing program and, So I read that book and I was like, this book is all me Um, and written specifically for me. And then I went to this website called TMZ Wiki and uh, it's called, there's this little thing on the left that said structured education. Um, And then I went in there and there's a 60 day writing program and it's all mental. And I was in so much pain for two years. My right leg, my right calf wouldn't talk to my brain. So it atrophied, I was dragging my leg around. I was my my sleep level was three half hours a night and it wasn't contiguous. I was I was gone. Emotionally I was gone. You know, when you're not sleeping, you that, that's what kills you. So um yeah, I started reading that book and I was a hard healer. So it took me uh, uh three months to heal, but I healed it with my mind. So that that showed me it's like you can do amazing things with your mind. So I started really focusing on the books that are all about the mind. Yeah, that's
1: that's pretty amazing. That's an amazing story, man. That's that's crazy. I can't imagine being up on stage for three days with like oh, debilitating back pain. Just ugh. I would
0: ask people for drugs from the stage. It's like anybody got <laughs> <get> any
1: drugs? <laughs> really needed. <laughs> What's this guy teaching us?
0: <laughs> yeah. That was bad. That's good. During the break, I would just go I would go into the conference room and just lie on the table laid out straight. That last night I was uh that I wasn't in pain in Washington, DC. I'll never forget. It's like, it works, you know, this, it, it works gradually. You know, the mind plays, play, the mind wants to control you. You know, this. Yeah. you're not your mind. You know, you're you're different from your mind and your mind wants to control you. And, and uh, the book says, you know, once your mind figures out that you figured it out, then it throws all kinds of pain at you to, to make you think that you don't. And um, I remember that morning when I, I realized that my mind had given me pain in a place that I'd never had it before. Because typically your, your mind will follow known pain paths to reassure you that this isn't it. So, anyways, um, that morning when I realized I had beat my mind, I was like, I won, I won. And I was yelling at the mirror. I was like, uh, you know, I was like ragged back then. And um, sure enough, that next week was hell. I mean, my main, my minds were so much pain at me, but I was determined. I knew I was like, I beat you, I beat you. And then I was on stage for a day, uh, for the start of a three day event in Washington D.C. That Friday night, everybody goes out. You know, Dave stays back, lying stretched out on the floor as usual. All of a sudden, I realized I'm not in pain. It's like, wow, I'm not in pain. What am I? Am I gonna go out with everybody and catch up with them, or, or <laughs> what? You know. And my inside of my head said, no, just relax and enjoy this. You know, enjoy the fact that you're not in pain. And yeah. that was the last time I was in
1: pain uh, for my back. Cool. Man, there you go, people. If you can't figure out how to get your mind to cooperate with you, just like, just, just take that in right there. Um, mind can do yeah. some amazing and powerful things.
0: And if you've got back pain, fibromyalgia, uh, you've got a couple tunnels on the road. When you're lit, read that book, Mind Over Back Pain. And if you can see yourself in those pages,
1: go to this website, TMZ Wiki, and you'll find the writing campaign in there. Get you out of it. Speaking of books, uh, you've mentioned several books. Is there another book that you really like that you could pass down to our listeners?
0: Yeah, um, uh, there. It is. Uh, let me let me go grab it. Hold on, I can see it right here. This is one of the best books written on the power of the subconscious mind uh, by Joseph Murphy, uh, and this teaches you how to control your subconscious because you know your limiting beliefs and your actions are all in an auto program in your subconscious. And if you can control your subconscious, I read, I just read this the other day. I don't know how I've lived this long and through it. Usually when I read a good book I highlight, then I go through and I I write an outline so I can keep going back and hit the salient points.
1: Hmm. That's a good one. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I got one last question before we wrap up and then, uh, and then uh, I'll ask you, you know, how can people get in touch with you? But so last, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Certainly
0: multifamily. Um, I've been doing that forever. Uh, The second is cryptocurrency. I'm an early investor uh, in cryptocurrency. And anybody that doesn't believe in it, you just haven't done enough reading. That was one of the, like multifamily, when I saw that, um, um, when I saw that interview with Harry Helms, it was like, wow, that's it. Just like when you said you saw me, you know, before this interview, you said you saw me, there's a bunch of other speakers there, but what I said can make complete sense. Uh, Same thing with cryptocurrency. I was, I'm an early investor, but, but not as early as some, I was started in 2018. A friend of mine said, you know, um, you know, so-and-so just started investing in cryptocurrency and I knew this guy was worth half half a billion dollars. It's like, if this guy's worth a half a billion dollars and he's investing in crypto, what is it all about? Because I had heard about it before. So I went on YouTube and I watched a bunch of stuff and I was like, holy crap. You know, there's something big here. So that, that, and what is my third pillar? That's a good question. Um, I am probably focused on those two things. I, I'm not really into the stock market. Um, I don't know. What are your three? Maybe it will uh, trigger something for me.
1: <laughs> well, I, I answer that more of like the the mindset approach, but. Um, so, you know, I'm talking education, take, taking action, like that type of stuff. Oh, I see. Me. But, but, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people pillars, answer right. it, like you just answered with multifamily, with crypto, with stocks. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. that's the fun of the question. Cause everybody answers it slightly different. Well, if you,
0: if you asked me, what are the pillars of success? Yeah. Then
1: I would have answered differently. I
0: would have yeah. answered mindset. Yeah. You know, the first pillar of success is all about success. the second pillar of success success is all about taking action mm-hmm. and then the third pillar of success is not giving a crap what
1: anybody thinks I about love what that. you're doing I love that 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 last one is maybe the most important just not giving a crap what other people think you've got you got to do what you are planning on do it and move forward with it and you're gonna get plenty of people that don't like what you're doing or you know, it wanna be that voice in your head. It's just like you just can't give a crap. I love that. Yeah. Don't listen. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a long time ago not to listen.
0: You know, I learned a long time ago that as long as you know you look in the mirror and you like the person that's there, that's good enough. Hmm. You know, and, and the More. other thing was I heard this quote a long time ago. It said, you know, don't don't care what other people are thinking about you. Because you know what? They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about what other people are thinking about them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, that's that's powerful,
0: man. Let me give you another book. So um, there's a professor over at Harvard. His name is Robert Kaplan. And um, he wrote a book called What to Say to the Man in the
1: Mirror, which is an awesome self-reflecting book. Cool. Oh, man, Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, We could keep on going for a while, but um, we got to wrap up. How how can people get in touch with you? I know you got a big event coming up. Uh, I think this yeah, fall, got a
0: big event called Ultimate Partnering. We will have George Foreman there as the keynote. There's typically mm-hmm. anywhere from twelve hundred to fifteen hundred real estate investors networking. We call it Ultimate Partnering because people find deal partners there. Uh, they find business partners there. They find a ton of money partners there. Um, and it's an event where if you're looking for people that are, it, we've been doing this event, we have been teaching since 2002. We've been doing this event since 2005. So we have alumni from all the different years, it's like a big alumni event for us. And uh, people tell us it's, it's the event where there's so many people doing deals that just, you know, they've never seen anything like it, which is great. It's just a, a reflection of people that follow the system, you know, and decide that they're going to be successful. So they all come back and share those successes with each other and, it's, a, it's just an awesome event um so that's gonna you, be in dallas um, do you have to you, be one of the alumni or can anybody join? no no you don't have to be an alumni no actually about 30 percent of the people that are there are new which is great because they get to actually network with the people that have been in the business for a long time you know it's not like you go to a a, a three-day class and you're all a bunch of new people coming out of the three-day class yeah. you go to this three-day event and it's all people people with uh, with 1,000-unit portfolios, 5,000-unit portfolios, 10,000-unit portfolios. Some people are just doing their first deal. Some people just trying to get their first deal. You know, it's just a plethora, a plethora of people. And the great thing is we all have the same attitude, and it's an attitude of giving. You know, one of the things I always say at the beginning of the event is if you're going out with a bunch of people and you walk by somebody, you know, because a lot of people are nervous and uh, afraid to, you know, talk to people or, or just go up and ask if they can join in, you know, you reach out and you grab that person and bring them with you and you that's the way it is. Everybody's so open and giving and caring and everybody wants to help each other succeed. It's yeah. the mindset is awesome there. That's, That's one cool. of the, it's like legacy event. I'm so
1: proud of. Yeah. Those, those are so, great yeah. events where you got good networking, good people uh, that are there, that are actually doing business. So those are, those are the we've best had, events. We've had so
0: many success stories, success teams come out of those events as well. You know, people that met each other there for the first time. And, and now they're doing all kinds of deals together or people yeah. that went to the I had a, a guy by the name of um, uh, um, Jeff Kissy go to an event and comes to me. And he had gone to the boot camp. He had gotten two deals on the contract. He, he was hard, $300,000. He was going to lose it if he didn't raise $2.3 million within the next three weeks. I'm like, holy crap, you are in trouble. I said, I'll tell you what. Tell me about the deals. All right, I'm going to bring you up on stage. All right, and, you, and, and I will grill you on those deals. I said, there will be people in the room that will be interested. And that's exactly what happened. He was able to raise the, the, the funds at that event, and that was the wow. that was the start of a two thousand unit portfolio.
1: Those two wow. deals in that event. And so pretty, had, that, uh, had that not happened, man, three hundred K would have been a big. I'm glad up. he reached out to me because he didn't know me, I didn't
0: know him, but he just said, "Dave, I got a problem." He caught me walking, you know, in between sessions down the hall. It's like, "Dave, I got a problem." It's like, "What is it?" So, um, you know, wow. it's glad he was bold enough to reach out. So that was good. The other way to uh, catch us is rementor.com our mentor.com.
1: Cool. Cool. All right. Well, we'll put that both in the show notes. We'll get a link to that event uh, in there. And any, any last words, any, any, you know, I, we'll, we'll also put your books too, in the show notes, oh. cause I know you got several books so we can put that in there, how to get those. And, uh, but yeah, any last words of wisdom?
0: The, we've said it before, you know, it's all about taking action. It's about educating and taking action without the, without the action, you can have all the skills, you can have all the knowledge, but you don't put it to use,
1: nothing changes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Love it. Well, again, appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Appreciate it.